There's a theological word called eschatology, and it comes from two Greek words, eschaton and logos. Logos means word, eschaton means last. So eschatology means the last words or words about the last things. So when you say eschatology, you're talking about the end times. And a lot of times when you say to people, would you like to study end time events? Almost everybody says what? Yeah, everybody loves talking about end time events. There's a lot of confusion. What will happen? When, when will Jesus come? When will there be a reign? Will there be a kingdom? We find out that there's, if, if you look, I mean, if you just go through the Bible and you start looking, the end times all fits together. Uh, if you just said Matthew 24, 25, Daniel 9, Second Thessalonians, the book of Revelation, uh, Zechariah 14, I mean, if you, as Ezekiel 37, 38, you start looking at all those places, the end times fit together. As you know, we've talked about it many, many times. Jesus Christ came the first time, the first time to the earth to die on the cross to pay for sin. He died and rose again, ascended back into heaven. He will come a second time to the earth as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In between that coming and this coming, there's, of course, the church age. That's us, the body of Christ. Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds. He's not coming to the earth. That's coming to the earth. That's coming to the earth. This is coming in the clouds. The dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and a man to be caught up together with him to meet the Lord in the air. That's called the rapture. Following that, there'll be the time period called the tribulation, and then there'll be the second coming of Jesus Christ, and he comes to set up the kingdom. The first time he came to die, the second time he comes to reign. So that's literally our little chart and the things that we always talk about. Psalm 2, the one we're going to be looking at, if my Bible, if your Bible is like mine, it actually says, underneath it, it says, the reign of the Lord's anointed. And so we're going to talk more about that. Psalm 2 gives God's plan, what it'll be like when the king comes, what's it like even? And Psalm 2 really talks about that Jesus, the king will come. He will come as the king to rule and to judge, okay? So we're going to see that as we look at this psalm. And then we got one more to go, and then we'll start a new study in the fall. So we got some great things to look at. So Psalm 2 is what we call an enthronement psalm. Let me just tell you, there are different types of psalms. There are wisdom psalms, lament psalms, praise psalms, thanksgiving psalms, and enthronement psalms. And so the... the uh, they, they all go together, and we've been seeing some wisdom things, some praise things, some thanksgiving ones. Uh, lament is a sadness one. Sometimes with the lament psalms, there's uh, psalms imprecatory, which means you, you're against somebody and that. And then there's the enthronement psalm, which is uh, uh, showing the, the reign of a king. That's what the enthronement is. So when we look at Psalm chapter 2, it's called a royal throne, uh, uh, psalm or an enthronement psalm, because we're going to see this. Now, it, you know, some of the psalms, if you look at them, it'll say a psalm of David. This one doesn't say anything. It doesn't tell who it is. However, if you're listening or read the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, this psalm is attributed to David. So this is probably one of David's 70 to 75 psalms that he wrote of these 150 songs. David wrote at least probably at least 70 to 75 of them, even though it's not listed here. Acts tells us that David wrote this one. Here's sort of the outline of the psalm, and I think it's pretty amazing because it begins with, why do nations rebel against God? Why do they rebel? And how does God feel about that? How does God feel when someone in our country, in, uh, in our leadership, says, this group is not concerned about the will of God? Because... Uh, y'all know that. Y'all know what I'm talking about. How, how does God feel when nations say, we don't believe in you, we do our own thing, we are our own, we are our own rulers? 
Why do the nations rebel? God has instituted, instituted his king. We're going to see that he gives a dominion to the king, and he's going to see, give some advice uh, to the nations. So as we study Psalm 2, we're going to see about the reign of the king. And the key word there is Messiah or anointed one. Sometimes in the Bible, it'll say something like God's anointed. The word anointed is the, is the word Mashiach. It means the, uh, the, the Christos in the New Testament, Mashiach in the Old Testament. It means the anointed one of God, which means God set him apart. We already saw in our study of Samuel on Sunday mornings how that uh, Saul was set apart and the oil was poured on his head. He was anointed as king. We've seen that David has been set apart. He's anointed. Well, in the Old Testament, there is this anointed one, which is the Messiah, who is called the prophet, priest, and king. And so we'll see it. And so in Psalm 2, it mentions the anointed of God. So let's start. And, and you begin with the main question. And that's how he starts off in the first three verses. Why do nations rebel? Why are they rebellious? What are they doing? What are they thinking? So he starts off by saying in verse 1, and look what he says, why, nations, why is there nations in an uproar? He says, why are nations in an uproar and the people devising vain things? Why are nations going against God? Why are they like waves that crash against uh, the, the shore? The truth is that they're fallen. The whole world has fallen. It is a fallen world. It, it groans and travails until uh, the redemption of the world. Mankind has fallen. All we like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way. Uh, there's none righteous. There's none that seeks after God. And so we live in a world in which is actually in rebellion against God and is against God. And if you look at nations as a whole, as a whole, they're against God. Most of them. They're, they're, you know, the United States is one that, that started off in God we trust. And, and our whole system is based on Judeo-Christian values. And but not all nations are that way. In fact, many are not, and many are in rebellion. Even if they, even if we started out good, a lot of things are in rebellion against the true God, and are contrary. And it says, why, why the people, why are people's devising vain things? You know, uh, man. You know what vain things are? Man can make it without God. We don't need God. It, there are a lot of people who say, well, I don't need God. There are nations that say, we don't need God. We don't believe in any God. My gracious, we just do our own thing. There are, there are nations that suppress anything with religion. Throughout history, we've seen, especially under communism, that you, you know, anything that deals with religion, they will, they will wipe it out if they have to kill millions of people to do it. And so nations uh, reject God. And so why are the nations in an uproar? And the people's devising vain things. Now, what, uh, by the way, Diocletian, he was uh, in the first century, he, uh, he persecuted he, on purpose. He was one of the rulers, and he wanted to persecute Christians. And he said this, he, he said, I hope the name of Christians will be extinguished. That's so what he said. I hope we wipe out every Christian that's ever lived. That's what that's what his plan was. Uh, he's Christians are here. He's he's gone. Okay. So look at number two. There's the second point, and he says the kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. So we stop there because they say something. But look what it says: the kings and rulers take their stand against God. Now, I want you to notice that if you, if you heard me talk about this a lot of times, notice he says, against the Lord, and notice they're all four capitals. We're talking about the personal name of God there, the personal God. They say, we take counsel against the personal God of the world and against his anointed. The anointed is the Messiah. The anointed is Jesus. Listen, going all the way back to Genesis uh, uh, you know, 3 and Genesis 12, the anointed one is the Messiah who's going to come and pay for the sins of the world and be the, be the Redeemer. Well, that's the anointed. 
And so here he says, the rulers of the world take their counsel against the Lord. They're against God and against his anointed one. That's the Messiah, the Savior, going back to Genesis 3. And so they rebel. And what do they say? Look at verse 3. Let us tear their fetters apart. Let us cast away their cords from us. They're saying, let's stop being under control by God. Let's break free from God and his authority, his control, and his dominion. You know, a lot of people say there is no God, and the reason they say there is no God is because they don't want to be under the authority of God. If you admit there's a God, then you have to come under his authority. They say there's not a God, so I don't have to listen to anybody. I do what I want to do. Nations and rulers do the same thing, and they say we don't have to come under God. We don't have to obey anything. We do our own things. We're our own nation. I don't know if you realize this, but I'm doing a, I'm doing a study um, at SBI. It's going to be called Jesus and His World. And we're going to talk about the nations like the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Medio Persians, the Greco Macedonians, the Romans, and all that. Did you know that God actually said, I will take and I will raise up the Assyrians to do something? I will take and raise up the Babylonians to do something. And most of those, when he, God raised them up to use them, they thought they were doing their own thing. And they would say, nobody can stop me. I can still remember in Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel saying, what a great nation I have made. And right then, he got the mind of an animal for seven years. And so the nations and the people say, we don't need God. We do. In fact, I'd like to not have anything to do with God. And you find all over the world, there are nations that either are religious and worship false gods, or they reject God totally and try to destroy anything connected with God. Well, how does God feel about that? When mankind says, we don't like you. We don't even want to admit you exist. We are not coming under your dominion or your control. Now, let me ask you something. Who created all of the heavens and the earth? Who created every human being? God did. Every human being is created in the image of God. And so think about this. So let us tear our fetters away. Let's cast all this away. Let's get away. Well, here's the great truth. God has a king. and He's already instituted the king, whether we understand it or not. Jesus isn't ruling on the earth yet, but he is the king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Watch what God's response to man saying, we're not listening to you. We do our own thing. What does God say? Verse 4, he who sits in heaven does what? He laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. God sits in heaven. The Lord scoffs. You know what God says? Are you kidding me? You think you're going to rebel against me? I created you. I created everything. I spoke it into being. You think you're going to rebel against me? Who do you think you are? I'm God, and you're not. What does he do? He laughs. He laughs at the rebellion of mankind. And, And you could raise it this How can man... Break away from the all-powerful creator. Now, this is Psalm 2. I didn't write this. This is God writing this through David. And he who sits in heaven laughs. God laughs at them. And, and then he goes on and says, Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify in his fury. Now, listen. God may laugh right this second, but there's going to come a time, what? That he's going to deal with mankind. He's going to deal with mankind as a whole. Now, we don't, we don't even like to think about stuff like this, but there's a time coming when God is going to judge. And if you look at what we know, we know that the next event, God's judging the world now. 
The world's being judged right now. It's just getting ready for the worst judgment to ever happen. When the church is taken out, there's going to be a judgment on the earth. It'll be the worst judgment that's ever been. And that's called the tribulation. It'll last for seven years. And then when Jesus comes back, he will come back to rule and he will take and he will take the nations. It's called the judgment of the sheep and the goats. He will take the nations and he will judge them. And he will take individuals and whoever believes gets to go into the kingdom. And whoever does not believe will be separated. There's a judgment coming. Look what he says. He will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. And when you see anger and, and fury, it don't, don't think of like human beings' anger, like we're mad and out of control. He's not mad and out of control. He, 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 there's wrath of coming. The wrath of God is judgment. That's what it is. It's judgment. And the ultimate judgment is separation. We don't like to think about that. We, we think of people who seem to be nice but don't, that they've never believed in Jesus Christ. They've never put their faith in him. They've never believed in him for eternal life. And we think, well, they're nice people, but there's going to be the wrath of God coming. There's going to be the wrath of God coming. Judgment comes on rebellion. And now he gives the key. Look what he says. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. He basically says, I've set up the king. Listen, it's just like David was anointed as the king when he was 15 years old. But was he the king of Israel when he was 15 years old, even though God anointed him as king? No. He's the king, but he hadn't taken his position yet. Jesus Christ is who? He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Has he taken his place yet? No. Who, who, who rules the fallen world system? Who does? Satan does. But one day the king is coming. One day the king is coming. And he says, I have... I have already done what? I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. He's installed the king. The Lord has installed him. It's on a place. It's called Mount Zion. Where is Mount Zion? Zion is Israel, and it's where the it's it's the mountain. It's called Mount Moriah, Mount Zion. It's where Jerusalem is built. That's where the king's going to rule. That's where Jesus is going to come as the king of kings and the lord of lords. When Jesus comes back, where is he coming back when he comes back to this earth? Where is he coming? To the Mount of Olives. When he gets to the Mount of Olives, it's going to split. And the Mount of Olives is right outside Jerusalem. And he's going to set up the kingdom in Jerusalem, and he will rule as the king of kings and the lord of lords. He'll rule there for a thousand years. Then they'll make a new heavens and a new earth, and he'll rule from all eternity. He's the king. God says, listen, you can, you can say all the things you want to, and you can say, we're not going, we're not listening to you. He says, I'm just laughing at you, because one day I'm going to judge, because I already got the king, and the king is coming. You may be thinking you're a king of this earth, but there is the king of the world, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the king of the unbelieving, because every knee will bow. He is the king of the believing, to those who get to be with him in the kingdom and rule and reign in righteousness and justice. And notice he says, upon my mountain... There are two key mountains found in the scripture. There's Mount Sinai, which is also called Mount Horeb. That's where they got the law. That's Moses. Then there's Mount Zion, which is also called Mount Moriah. And this is where there's the grace and the mercy in Jesus. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's John chapter 1. So we're going to see that there is Jesus, and he is the king, and he is the ruler. And so we start off by the world saying, we do our own thing and we'll, we, we, we're, we're not going to come under God. And God says, I'm laughing at you 
because one day I'm going to judge you because I already have the king and he's going to be on the mountain as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And then notice what he says. And this is beautiful because he says, God gives the king dominion. See, it's one thing to be a king but not have the rulership. And see, David is the king, but he's not the ruler yet. One day Jesus is going to be the king. He's not the ruler yet, but look what he goes on to say. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He will say to you, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now, you know, you could stop at that verse. We could spend an hour on this verse because there is a lot in that one little verse. You look at it and go, what? he didn't just say, what did he say? There's a decree. You are my son. Today, I have begotten you. You know what the decree is? The decree is that God came to David and told him that through David's descendant, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17, we'll get to that on Sunday morning one of these days. Through that decree, God's covenant made with David, and that he said, the son of David, the son of God, will sit on the throne of Israel. That's what he's talking about. He said, I will surely tell the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now that is a strange statement. What does he mean, begotten? Well, it could mean two things. It could mean today I've raised you from the dead. Because this is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. In some places when it says this is the day the Lord has made, it's talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and resurrection. And then some other times when it says this is the day the Lord has made, it's talking about ruling and reigning, that he's going to reign. And so you could look at it both ways. When he says the decree is that the son of David will be the king and he is my son. And by the way, Jesus is the son of God, right? So the other one must be the what? If Jesus is the son, the other one is the... Father, and then there's the Holy Spirit, and they're all God, right? And was there the Father, and then the Son was created? No, they've always existed, haven't they? They've always existed as the Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, we, our mind says, I don't grasp that. I can't comprehend that. We can't, but it's true. And so the Father says, you are my Son. You think, gosh, I thought it wasn't until the New Testament where the heavens open and the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen, have you ever read the end of some of the Proverbs and some of the Psalms? And he raises the question in Proverbs and says, what's God's name? And what's his Son's name? Who is the Son? Jesus Christ, exactly. Can you imagine that in all of history, that it exactly at the right time, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, with the eternal Father and the eternal Spirit, the eternal Son of God left heaven and became a person for us, walked on the earth. We have the record of everything. He is the Son of God. Wow, it's beyond comprehension. Well, what about this Son? He said, let me tell you the decree. I've got to go faster. I didn't realize I'm going this slow. Okay, so and then he says, and he says to the son, ask of me and I'll surely give you the inheritance as, uh, the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. He says, I'm going to give the son what? The world. 
Jesus rules the world. The Father gives the Son the world. These people are out there fussing about God and saying, we do our own thing. God said, no, you don't do your own thing. I already got a king, and I'm giving him the king of the world. He's going to rule the world. You're not going to rule the world. Jesus is going to rule the world. Who was supposed to rule the world? Who was supposed to rule the world? Adam and the wife were supposed to rule the world. He said, be fruitful and multiply. You have dominion over the fish. And the... He was supposed to rule the world. And he sinned. And he fell. And the world was cursed. And they were cursed. And an angel rules the world now. An evil angel rules the world. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the god of this age. But one day, Jesus Christ, the son of God, the last Adam, the first Adam messed up. The last Adam is going to come and rule the world. And look what it says. I'll give you the nations, your inheritance, the very ends of the earth. How is he going to rule? Oh, he's going to be real nice. No, no, he's going to break them with a rod of iron. He's going to come and he'll break them with a rod of iron. He shall shatter them like earthenware. When he comes to take over, you know, the first time Jesus came, he asked nicely, let me be your king. And they went, no. When he comes the second time, he's not asking anybody. He's coming to rule in righteousness and justice as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. First time he came to die, second time he comes to reign, and he's not asking anybody when he comes the second time. The old saying is he's coming and taking names, you know. He's coming. He's coming in power. Psalm 110 we could look at that sometime. It closes with his advice to the nation, you know. Psalm 110 says he's coming to rule. Well, look at this, and we've got to go fast. He's going to end, he's going to, God gives, give advice to the nations, to, to the rebellious nations. Look what he says. Therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth, worship the Lord with reverence, and rejoice with trembling. Now, let me give you those two verses, because in those two verses, he says, here's four things you need to do. You need to be wise, you need to be warned, you need to worship, and you need to rejoice. In verse 10, he says, be wide and heed the warning. Listen to what he says. Show discernment, show some wisdom, know who you are, and take warning because the king is coming. And then in the next verse, he says, worship and rejoice. Worship the Lord and rejoice. He's actually saying, believe in the Messiah and worship him and rejoice that he's coming as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And then he gives his final advice because he knows that most people are going to go, I'm not doing that. So here's his final advice. Do homage to the son that he, become, that he not become angry and you perish in the way for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. You know what he says? He says, just remember, he's coming the word homage there actually literally says, kiss the son. And that idea, that word means to come under the authority. That means to, to realize who he is. That's the advice. Kiss the son. Because we, we was, as Ephesians says, all people who are not believers are children of wrath. That means we're, they're going to experience the wrath of God. They'll be separated. His plan is that God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He that believes not condemned, but he that believes not is what? Condemned already because they've not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's, that's the division. If you believe, you're not condemned and you have eternal life and you're with the Lord. If you don't believe, you're condemned and you're separated. And so he ends up and says, how blessed are all who take refuge in him. Kings of the earth, listen carefully. 
You can laugh out there all you want to, and you can say you're not going to listen to God, and you're going to do anything you want to do. But God says, I'm in control here, and I have a king, and I've already set him apart, and I'm giving him the world, and he's coming to rule in righteousness. And the smartest thing you could ever do is be wise and believe in him and rejoice, come under his authority, so when he comes, you'll be with him forever. If you don't, the wrath of God is coming, and you'll be separated forever. You know what that means individually? Now, he's using kingdoms here. But what does that mean individually? That means the same thing, that any person out there who has not believed in Jesus Christ, and they'll say things like, I don't believe in God, or I don't believe this. Well, if there really was a God, he wouldn't do it that way. They say all that mess. God says, I love you. I've provided a way. But one of these days, whoever believes in me has eternal life. Whoever does not believe in me, the wrath of God abides. It's coming. And the wrath of God is separation. Wow. Uh, let me give you some applications real quickly. We see the character of God. He is sovereign. He rules. He plans. He does whatever he wants to do. He also loves and judges. He loves us. He provided a Messiah and a Savior, but he judges. And that's why whoever believes has salvation. Whoever doesn't believe, there'll be condemnation. And so we got it here. Is respond to the king. How? Believe in Christ for eternal life and tell others about the refuge. That's why he says, how blessed are all those who take refuge in him, safety in him, because he's the Savior. Wow. Okay, so think that's a pretty powerful one, isn't it? I mean, what, what is that? What does what you think about that you say, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay, because I, I put my faith in Christ. I, I believed in him for eternal life, so I'm saved, and I'm saved forever, and I can't control, I can't control my nation or other nations, but what about all the individual people that even though he's dealing with nations, it all goes back to people. What about the people that we all know that say things like, oh, I don't believe about God. Oh, I don't care anything about God. Or they say things like, yeah, God's real nice, and he would never send anybody to hell. Really? Well, because you don't have righteousness, you can't be with him. Because you don't have a life, you can't be with him for eternity. See, a person doesn't realize it, but without eternal life, you can't be eternally with Jesus. You'll be separated from him. People say, I don't need God. Well, you need eternal life. Eternal life is life forever with Jesus Christ. The only way you have eternal life is by faith in Christ. So in order to have eternal life, you must believe in Jesus to give you eternal life. So as we go out these doors, what does this mean for the people we come in contact with every day? We need to tell them about the place of refuge, and that is Jesus.